Hebrews 12.1 says we are surrounded by witnesses and that we should cast off sin and obstacles that keep us from God. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is Cross Training. Building your faith to not only carry the cross of Christ, but to get up when you fall and run toward the finish line. Faith-filled business leaders and individuals share their testimony to inspire your journey. Now here's your host for Cross Training, David Anderson. Welcome again to Cross Training, hosted by me, David Anderson, brought to you on Catholic Community Media and the beautiful uptown studios of the Mike Early Loyola Center. And we have Mr. Albert DuPont Jr. at the switches and Mr. Jeffrey Blackwell making us all sound nice and smooth back at Catholic Community Media. And by the way, if you ever want to go to that website, it's a great website. I encourage everyone that's listening to go to the Catholic Community Media website. Look it up. Always interesting stuff going on, events, different things on Wake Up. I think you'll like it a lot. Today in the studio, we have a young woman who grew up in a family in New Orleans that everyone knows, and a really interesting family. She has had an interesting life. Her father was a famous guy in Louisiana, always fighting for folks on the bottom and using all of the powers he could muster as the attorney general to, to help folks. And he's a legend in, in our own time, for sure. Certainly was in my house. So I have the pleasure of introducing Ann Gust. Uh, welcome so much, Ann. Thank you very, very much for inviting me to be here. I appreciate um, your invitation to come, and I'm happy to be with you. Ann and I go to church together at Holy Name, and uh, that's where we met and some of the adult groups we watch movies and uh, you've heard me talk about that before and so Ann and I had become friends and she told me about the book that she had written and uh, was gracious <coughs> enough to give me a copy and uh, it is uh, the stories from the life of the former Attorney General and Mrs. William J. Gus Jr. a family and the General's cookbook it's the story of my mother and the General's cookbook how did you come about going to write this book? <laughs> yeah, I never thought I'd write the family Bible, <laughs> but it just came to me. And um, what it is is I'm the youngest in a family of nine children. Yes, we were all Catholics, and I think all of us carry our Catholic faith, you know, from childhood well into all of us into our adult life. Um, yes, some of us have, have wandered a little bit into the Christian religion, as, as, as well as me also. In other words, uh, most of us are Catholics, but some of us are just Christians. But look, we all share the same love of God and the same love of family, I do believe. Now, the book is um, Stories of My Mother and the General's Cookbook. Um, this came to me when, um, in about eight, nine, or ten years ago, I started getting phone calls almost you know, once a day, and then it became four or five times a day for my mother needing help in her, call it old age. Um, my mother, you know, having, you know, raised 10 children with my father, was reaching her time in life where she was needing some help and was calling me on and on again. And I ultimately started living with her. And what happened was my, we would be sitting watching TV, and my mother's completely in possession of her mental faculties, um, you know, the heart just starts wearing down kind of thing, and she passed away at age 98. But the book came about um, when we would be, like, watching TV at night, which she loved to do. She had her favorite shows, and we'd be watching TV, and she'd start talking about some story in her life with my father. And I'd say, okay, look, Mom, let's cut this TV off. I need to listen to this story and get it straight. So I'd start listening to these stories, and some of them were so, I thought, fascinating, um, comical, enjoyable and really truly some of them showed their the character of my parents as true defenders of their faith uh, defenders of social justice causes and all kinds of things so I said look I'm going to start writing down some of these stories while I'm taking care of my mom I'm going to put some of these stories on paper and so I would go home every now and then start writing a story type it up clean it up bring it back over to her and say hey mom you know do I have it right did I get it down correctly because I, I wanted to be straight with the facts she would read it and she'd say you know nice nice job uh, it's good I like it that's that's it and she might change one or two words but basically I had it you know so I was just proceeding forward on my own time with writing these stories 
And at and, this time, you're a practicing attorney? Well, <laughs> as I, it was kind of a balanced thing. As I saw myself, my mother needing more and more of my time, I did have to completely taper off the whole um, fa- It's just a general practice I had, you know, mm-hmm. basically um, general practice things, whether it was family law or small successions or some traffic or minor misdemeanors, general practice matters. Um, I had to start really tapering that off to give my attention to my mother. So while I was doing that. You were fortunate to be able to be in a position to do that. It was kind of a, a requirement. I, I felt I can't give my mother the attention she wants and be juggling these calls in fairness to myself and whether these were clients or not, you know. So, yeah, I had to kind of let go a little bit of that. So um, so then I started writing these stories down, and um, what happened was about halfway through the stories, I realized it occurred to me that my father had written a cookbook, and he had, my mother would be, like, driving them from long trips from Washington or wherever, she would be doing the driving. She was a driver. She was a strong-willed, with all due respect, German type of person. And she'd be driving, and he'd be sitting there writing the, a cookbook because one of my sisters had asked for some recipes. So my sister had asked for some recipes, and my father started writing all these down. I think he was also doing it spontaneously on his own, out of his own interest in wanting to write these recipes down. So he ultimately sent one of my sisters a whole package of, of recipes, and she did type them up. And I presented them to our family, and I, um, that was about 20, 30 years ago, actually. And um, I thought, when I was writing the stories, I'm like, oh yeah, my father had a cookbook. I would like to attach that cookbook to the stories. So then I thought, okay, now maybe I do have something. I thought, who's going to want to read these stories, you know? You know, you, you do your things in life because they they get your attention, and they draw your interest. And like I've told some of my family members who are artists or something, you know, an artist doesn't stand before a, an easel and a, the paint board or whatever it is, you know, and think, well, who's going to buy this? They're like, this is what I want to paint. And I don't care if it just goes on my wall. I'm going to do this, you know. So it's got kind of motivation, you know. And, and you guys, uh, we're talking about your dad writing. You know, they're going campaign event to different things around the state, I'm sure. Uh, and he's writing this cookbook. He's not only the attorney general. You kind of have a family lineage in food. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. Um, my father, as as we we know, was was a fourth generation proprietor of Antoine's. So my father kind of had it in his blood. Yes. So standing over a, a pot in the kitchen and having me chop the onions, so the kids were always involved. Usually, you know, chopping the onions, the the garlic, whatever, you know, the parsley, um, throwing it in the pot. He was, of course, directing all this. Well, he directed but, the cooking at home of the ten. <laughs> and I wouldn't exactly say that. I'd say that as children in the younger years, uh, we did have a, a you know cooks in and out the house, of course. With you know, twelve people. You know, the guy who cleaned up the house maybe that cleaned the yard whoever also put the bowl of red beans on the stove you know early in the morning that kind of thing then um in my high school years we had a very good um a great cook who was just you know made the fried chicken and the um catfish and the turnip casserole and the stuffed eggplant i mean she was just top notch and it was just so incredible to have someone like that you know but so two or three nights a week this lady would come in and do some cooking but on those other nights my father would just come home. He enjoyed cooking. You know, we might do the Popeyes thing. You know, don't tell my father. But yeah, we did our Popeyes <laughs> nights. And, um, you know, yeah, my father liked to go out to dinner for that steak dinner thing. And um, But I guess the, the chuckle is, and some people often ask me, you know, what did your mother like to cook? That is often a question that's asked to me. And um, the story is, no, my mother was not. She, she had a great praline recipe, which is in this book. It's a really good recipe, you know, for a real creamy, thick delicious praline i think they're much better mm. than what you can buy in the french quarter to be honest with you but um just the way it, you described it sounded delicious it's you know creamy mm. nutty mm. thick you know it's not sticky or anything like that but it takes time pralines are not an easy thing to make it takes a little bit of time you know but i used to observe that process so i used to observe the process of the cook in the kitchen i would go stand over the pot and say okay so what are you going to do next and what's going in this next night? i would really aggravate her you know like, get your hands out of the pot you know <laughs> she didn't want me around. but anyway um go back to when you were putting you're sitting with mom okay and you're 
formulating this strategy of just compiling all these wonderful stories were the stories of mostly of their political life no there were well some of them were some um so again we'd be we'd be watching tv and she'd start talking about something that happened or something and i'd say okay i've got to turn the tv off i need to listen to this and i want to hear your the story so then i would go home and start pinning them down on paper and I'd type them up and then bring them home to her and say, do I, do I have it right? Is it right? And yeah, and that's how the story proceeded. stories proceeded along. But I think your question was, um, you know, no, my mother and father's life was really, um, the projects they pursued together were public service projects. For example, my mother's work with Ozanam Inn. She was, one of the stories describes how one of the brothers at the end, way back in the 80s, I think, continually was calling her hey miss gust uh we need such and such over at ozanam inn and we need you know so first it was just like men's you know toiletries and then it was other things and she's like oh no you need to talk to my husband about all of that um i'll get him to call you and he said oh no miss gust i want to speak to you she's like okay well uh, she took the call and she tried to help but she offered some very very good help uh, she recruited all of these major store owners in new orleans like the owner of kraus may wolf i mean she would give me names and she'd say she'd call may wolf long since deceased i'm sure and kraus is not even around but she would say hey look they need some curtains and mattresses over at ozanam and can you help and these folks really did come forward like miss wolf apparently said yeah i'll make the curtains and i'll bring them down there for you i mean they were very responsive and that's how things started and um you know she found the 90 mattresses for the inn and the toiletries, Langenstein's was very... 90 mattresses. 90 mattresses, yeah. He wanted 90. And again, this yeah. is David Anderson, host of Cross Training. We've got Ann Gust with us today and hearing the story about growing up Gust. <laughs> uh, now, this this brother that I'm speaking of was um, in the 80s. I don't believe he's still around. you know. But um, these are the early stories, if you want him to read. So you're compiling these stories. You're writing them. Yeah. Are you thinking, I'm going to turn this into a book? Um, I think as the stories progressed and I was getting the mo- my mojo about it, you know. Um, were they parenting stories? What were, were they about her childhood? Um, they were, let's, let's see, let's go to the index. Um, you know, they were anything from uh, the birth of, of one of my youngest brother who was born with Down syndrome and how, um, you know, in the 60s they would approach the parents and they would uh, say, you know, we can take your child and off your hands and, you know, that kind of thing and oh institutionalize right, right. A, a Down syndrome child. Well, you know, my mother and father said, look, we'll talk. We'll let you know. Well, the next day they apparently came in the room with the nurses and my father kind of stood in the doorway, said, no, the child is coming home with us and we'll raise this child. Mm. And, you know, that was a stand, you know, he took then the 10th, a 10th child, by the way, who would have that disability call it but he was a beautiful child and um he did pass away at the age of two went on but my father's political career like with the run for the senate started a couple of years after that incident that that passing away of that youngest child i don't know that that's related but um i think my father had probably had an interest in public service beginning with his years in the knights of columbus and I see that, really, that kind of organization is like a ground floor piece in his entire political career. Um, his father, my father, William Gust Sr., was a state chairman. William Gust Sr. was also the first, uh, according to my mother, chairman of the National Housing Board. So he was appointed somehow by President Eisenhower, one of those, to serve as the first chairman of the National Housing Board. So when my grandfather, William Gust Sr., passed away very kind of young uh, 60 or so he was a state bar association convention in England he had a major incident um, passed away and was flown back but my, the deal there is when he passed away my my father kind of should I say inherited some of these positions so not too long after my father for example became the state chairman of the Knights of Columbus and then he became he was then the chairman of the National Housing Conference Board so he got these really big roles not long after i don't know the exact years you know i'm not that mm-hmm. kind of too closely you know can't ver- not versed in that you know but and that was before kind of he like ran for political office yeah so wow. um that was, those were his ground floor experience he brought a lot of background um to 
his run for political office, which was just um, as a state senator. But he had a lot to go on then. I, I so. didn't know his real career before uh, being elected statewide as attorney general. Yeah, so he was a state senator um, for four years, from 68 to 72. And then from 72, at in 19, he ran for mayor, by the way. I didn't know that. In the 70s, like 1970. It was a, a big race with Boone Landrew and um, a host of others, Jimmy Fitzmorris. Oh, yeah. He's a kind of old, timeless names. Yeah. And uh, my father placed third in that mayor's race. But after that, he, he, he went on for a statewide, you know, ran for the state attorney general in 71 or so, got elected. So he served for five terms as a state attorney five general. Five terms. Yes. That's Wow. So we, we grew up through well, all of I guess of that us. position still is uh, not term limited. I suppose not. No, good question. I, I don't think I it, don't think it, it ever has been. Or state no. treasurer, mm-hmm. uh, secretary of state. Governor yeah, that is. never occurred to me. But Five terms. Right. That's You just mm-hmm. don't hear that yeah. uh, too often uh, unless someone gets elected early to the Senate or Congress. Uh, yeah, he did have a pretty remarkable career. Now, I am not you know, the spokesperson for every case he tried, as I mentioned to you. But look, in the third, the, the book really has three parts. So there are the stories and then the cookbook. And in the last section, the third section, I call it, you know, are the numerous awards, accolades, achievements of my father. Um, basically, you know, just the, the boards he served on, whether it was Xavier, as the um, Xavier University, Loyola, numerous awards that he got over his career. Uh, these are pictures of every president or high-ranking official that I have here. And each of his terms were four years. Of 20, yes. 20 years he served as attorney general. That's right. I and I do think he had a pretty... Um, successful career as the state attorney general i'm not here to uh, i don't like you know he had a good career now what i wanted to mention to you is this you know over my years as having a a simple law practice um i've often observed um one of the themes i i start that started really impressing me about my father was this whole thing of work-life balance i mean how do you i just kept telling myself how do you balance having Nine or ten children, a spouse, a wife. Uh, he had a mother, a mother for many years up until age ninety. She lived to age ninety-three, um, and then all the demands of work and the extracurricular activities that he, that he, you know, engaged in, and even the fishing trips he and duck hunting trips that he enjoyed. You know, how do you balance all of this? Stuff. Pardon I'm me. fatigued with my <laughs> simple life. I can't even imagine. <laughs> me too. I, I am. I, you know, I'm like, whoa, you know, and that started really sinking into me when, even in my small law office. Um, what kind of energy level did your you parents know, have? Obviously, I don't know a lot what kind of ten kids. He was running on, but <laughs> I, I know he did enjoy a glass of wine at dinner, and there's no doubt about that. You know, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think alcohol was an issue. No, you know, but. Um, you know, look, he had a high-octane life. These these pictures in the back are with various uh, presidents that during his tenure as attorney general he may have run into. I mean, you've got uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, whether you're blue or red, my father w- worked cooperatively with whoever was around. You know, Jimmy Carter, George Bush. He knew both the George Bushes. Uh, this is on a fishing trip. He was very active with the Ecology Center at Tulane. There was a lawyer over there that, that was... Um, he did a lot with, um, and in the back, uh, you've got a picture of him, him and his three brothers. Two of them were priests, and two. Oh wow! One of them was a lawyer. So, so two were priests, two were lawyers of my, fa- my grandmother's four children, and this is a picture of my father with the Pope. So, the story on this picture is that Pope John Paul. Yes. Is that apparently? Pardon me, Edwin Edwards was not invited to this event where Pope John Paul would be boarding the plane and going back after a visit to Louisiana. Um, good old Edwin Edwards, however you feel about it, you know. He apparently was invited, according to my mom, and look, my mom knows some things, you know. And uh, you have Archbishop Hannon here, and so my father was, was the top-level official there at this meeting. He's shaking hands with John Paul right there in that picture. That's awesome. So um, briefly going back to this picture, that's a picture of my the two lawyers and the two priests. Now, my uncle Bobby Robert Gust is just very well known. Often, I'm asked, "Not do you know? Are you related to William Gust or Billy Gust or Roy?" It's like, "Do you know Father Robert Gust?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I know wonderful. him. You know, he's my uncle." And my fourth, the fourth one here, Jules, has a monastic order that he started in St. Louis 
in the St. Louis area. He is still, in fact, living. He's, but he is, you know, getting rather old. But um, he, he is started still with a monastic us. order. Yeah, wow. it's very uh, monastic. Uh, it's Mary at the Font. If you Google, Google it and go online, something like um, Mary at the Font Solitude in Missouri. Um, but um, it's a small order. Again, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training. We have the Growing Up Gust uh, special edition with Ann Gust, the author of a great book, and uh, what it was like growing up Gust in Uptown New Orleans and becoming a lawyer and having such a uh, esteemed family background. I mean, the restaurant is the oldest restaurant in North America. Uh, in addition to your father serving 20 years as uh, attorney general in such high esteem, uh, Mm-hmm. seems a fascinating life, and you've culminated it all into a book. Yeah. So the book is Stories of My Mother in the General's Cookbook. Um, it's really available online mostly right now. Um, I did, over the summer, get Loyola Bookstore to to apparently have it available in their walk-in bookstore, but it's not generally available if you walked into Barnes & Noble or anything like that. I didn't go that route with the, this publisher. But... Um, but anyway, a Sacred Heart bookstore might have my the Academy of the Sacred Heart where I went to school, where the six of us girls went to school, by the way. My father spoke at my graduation, and it came out of the top of his mouth that he was happy that I was the last one, no longer would have to pay tuition for six girls. And I don't blame him, to be quite honest. But um, this is a cute little page on the back of the book. You know, I have a picture of my father and mother at their wedding ceremony oh, and then beautiful. 50 years later at their 50th wedding anniversary so you kind of get a before or after sense and i am not the authority on what makes a marriage work i i just don't really know i mean i know every marriage has their ups and downs and certainly i'm not going to say theirs didn't um i think i'm not the authority and i don't even get into that in the book but it is inspiring that yeah. that generation seemed to keep it together somehow you know that you know marriage is maybe seem to last and i know i don't know if you got to get out mom. of marriage you got to get out of a marriage but your mom looks so beautiful there yeah so that's you know dress. kind of before oh, and after goodness. you know so um that was probably the 50th anniversary my my father passed away in 2013 they were married 66 years but it was funny for me because my mother continued to count so <laughs> she would say like well it's going to be our 70th wedding anniversary i'm like well, you know he's deceased remember but um anyway so i wanted to mention that you know my father did Passed away in 2013, but my mother passed away this January in 2023. So oh, wow. I, even when I started to put the numbers together, my party joke to myself is, you know, my mother lived as a single parent for 10 years after my father's death, and I think that is challenging to me because she had, you know, we're adults, but gosh, when you have nine children calling you several times a week. You know, hi, Mom. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? That's a lot of calls to answer from children, grandchildren. Many people only wish to have such a problem. <laughs> well, you know, so um, I think I was just the default character. You know, keep her here with me. <laughs> you know, I'll just catch calls from these many of the others. And they would visit often as well and bring things to my mother, of course. We have the Growing Up Gust special edition with Ann Gust. And where did you grow up? Where did I grow up? Did y'all grow up in one house the whole life? Um, My mother and father originally lived in an apartment on Upper Line Street. Mm -hmm. And um, there were four apartments over there. And I think, you know, they started in one of the apartments. Then they then had two apartments on the second floor. Then in about 1954 is the way it goes before I was born. My fifth sister my fifth or sixth sister was just being born and they moved found this house on richmond place so uh, look i don't i don't mind it's number four richmond place i consider it a famous place you know my opinion so that's where i grew up and that's just four or five blocks yeah. from the school by the way yes um so we grew up there but i wanted to mention that you know my mother and father met at loyola and i do want to give Beautiful. a good a good uh punch for loyola pitch for loyola here uh, they met on this campus, and um, no kidding. Yeah, my father, uh, more or less, you know, they met through social things, but they both went to school here. So when my father started seeing my mom over here, you know, he started asking around all this stuff. But um, my let's see, what's the story? My mother, my father was in law school, and then my mother was in the music school, and my which mom, is where we are now. 
That's right. We're in the new building. So my mother was very proficient on the fantastic piano player. You know, um, just a good, you know, the, the, the classical favorites. I don't want to say Frank Sinatra or anything like that, but I could turn on YouTube for you after the show if you like and, and show her just going to town with classical, you know, um, all of you or all of me or whatever, those old-time favorites, you know, and she just goes to town and does a great job, and it was always fun to listen to her play. Did so if you want to listen to that, you go to YouTube and you type in Dorothy Gust because one day I got my kicks and I recorded her playing the piano. So she is on YouTube there and if you check it out it's it's fun music that's extraordinary you know? did y'all have parties growing up at your house be sure <laughs> active people coming over yeah the politics the religion i think as as far as listening to the religion when first as far as dinner parties certainly there are and you know archbishops <laughs> out of our dinner table often here wow. and there you know he's coming over for dinner like ah you know get ready for that um in terms of big parties, I think I chronicle in, in one of these stories or, or, or tell, you know, stories about in the 60s how um, big hotels in town didn't want to host events where, you know, African-Americans were going to be present. So a uh, phone call would come from the archbishop saying, well, you have this party at your house or something. And my mother and father would say, OK. And they had a, a decent, beautiful yard, beautiful oak tree. Um, later, there was a pool, you know, fantastic, beautiful home. But in the 60s, they had that big party that a certain hotel in town didn't want to host right. in that time. And they hosted the party, and it all went off fine. Now, another one of my stories is that my, when my sister got married, my oldest sister, um, they were going to have the wedding reception at a social club here uptown. And apparently, my mother heard that people that were going to be on the invitation list might not get through the front door. So my mother became, got worried. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, she was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get, what are we going to do? You know, these, the mayor, the, uh, there was a bishop at the time um, who was African-American, um, things like that. They were not, they might have had some trouble getting into that reception. So my mother went home and really discussed it with, I remember sitting around the dinner table and even the, uh, our, our cook came in there and said, we can do it, we can do it, we can, we can have this reception at home, don't worry about it, we can do it. And so we had the reception at our house, and the party went off, you know, quite well. So that was in the 70s, you know, that we did that. But um, let's see, what, where... I cannot imagine getting ready for a big dinner party, a reception, mm. and having 10 kids running around. <laughs> That you have to make sure everybody's dressed and uh, oh, ready no, to go. I mean, house. I think you're. We were had kind of like I was in high school at that point. Still, I've got <laughs> now a high that sixties party in the sixties. That might have had. She might have had ten children running around the house with that. Definitely, it okay. almost sounds Kennedy esque. Uh, you know, with the beautiful wife and your dad <laughs> and uh, all the kids. It it has that kind of lure to it. Uh, a little bit, I think it does. I think. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, sure my father had big respect for the Kennedy family. Um, and of the same era, too. Yeah, definitely, you know. Um, and your dad had a bigger-than-life persona uh, in in this area, in Louisiana. He had a almost a Henry Kissinger persona to him, very diplomatic yeah. And, yeah. and knowing that he was fighting for the right reasons, yeah. always. I yeah. know he was revered in our home. Yeah. And, uh, oh. I, you know, we were typical, I'm sure, yeah. lots of homes throughout the state. So right. he had that persona, and your mother really supported it quite well, and it was real. She and did. They were faithful. They were Catholic. They made no bones about it. Yeah. And again, if you're just joining us, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training on Catholic Community Media, and I'm looking at pictures of Billy Gust and, and his beautiful wife, and we have Ann Gust. Uh, who wrote this great book. It's centered around a cookbook, but it's the stories of growing up Gust. And uh, that's what all the reality shows are today. Maybe y'all can do a new one, that growing up Gust. <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite recipe in the whole book? Oh, that's, that's, a, gr that's a great question. You know, I, I kind of... I kind of participated. You know, I knew my father's cookbook was there, and I knew what was what was in it. But I, I put in 
two of my own chapters. I called it the um, oh the the beef rib dinner or something like that, and then the salmon special. Um, those are my my little things. Sue Chef special, I think, is a salmon dinner, and then I. I actually wrote two of these chapters because I, I was ha- starting to have a lot of fun with this cookbook personally. And then I did the um, the rib roast, which I love, you know, and that's that's my own. But um, so your original you question was, <laughs> um, you could, but, you know, sometimes I don't, you know. Um, God forbid. <laughs> um, it's really easy. You know, you throw a rib roast is so easy to make. But, yeah, they're running a little expensive these days, those rib roasts. But, um yeah, it just rub it down with that. I want to tell you. Oh, good. Okay. Please. Uh, but look, my mother's probably. No, tell us how you make that. The rib roast? Yes. Look, I just, you know, what do you call it? Marinated in the olive oil and the, and the um, I don't want to say whiskers here, but mm-hmm. there's another one that I like, game tame or something. Salt, white pepper. I like white pepper. I do too. It dissolves a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, um, Things like that. And if there's a particular spice that you like, uh, I like garlic powder or you know garlic salt. It gets too salty, but garlic powder I yes. love. Whether it's chicken, salmon, uh, roast steak, hamburgers, I love the garlic powder and the salt and white pepper. It's just that combination. I, I of use that staple with the <laughs> onion powder and my chopped garlic and onions. Yeah, but I always, always use my two peppers and my two powders right. pretty much on everything I cook. Right, right. Yeah, some people, the onion powder, certainly have heard about that one. I don't do it as much, but I know that people like that. So, look, I don't get into, you know, what I like. It's I know cooking is so creative. You know, so many of us just stand over the pot and, you know, start making the gumbo, pouring stuff in, left, right hand, you know, moving, you know, who knows what I'm, and that was one of the challenges with the cookbook. Hey, I got to get some measurements down here, you know, like one teaspoon of salt and yes, two yes. spoons of garlic, you know, that was challenging. I'll bet, so, I'll bet, because I cook, and you're right, I, I cook you're not measuring. By, I don't measure. You're just kind of throwing stuff in yep. the pot, you know. And so that was a little challenging. And I did actually test try a lot of these recipes, almost all of them. There's maybe one I didn't try, crab cakes or something. I'm like, who makes that still? Well, I found that a lot of people really did grow up on crab cakes. And that's like I talked to just people around town. Uh, my brothers and sisters seem to know of it well. Uh, I guess we started eating different things as we grew up, you know. But here's here's an interesting thing about my family. You know, that with nine children, my oldest brother Billy is 13 years older than me. So their 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 memory bank tends to be different, sometimes oh, different yeah. than mine. They have different stories, different experiences, and you know, you're growing up and you're all kind of moving through life together. But they're ground floor experiences are truly sometimes unique and different so we kind of have to share in that way um but anyway look what else oops whoops um what what did you ask me about some of the recipes i like the fried bananas recipe now here in new orleans you probably know of that better as bananas foster and there is a restaurant in town i won't say which one (laughs) that claims to have invented bananas foster now i'm worried about that but i won't talk about it too much oh no it sounds like a great controversy we can (laughs) add right here on the radio when i went to my grandmother's house we would go visit her you know over on she had a little apartment her cook would be cooking fried bananas in the kitchen and i was like we would walk in there like oh wow you know the the fried lamb chops and the fried bananas smelled like heaven, you know. So um, I would observe how these fried bananas were made. So I have trouble with someone claiming they invented. Now, anyone can say I invented bananas. I said, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. My father was very friendly with the other restaurant owners in town. Saw them at the same church, by the way. Ran into them always at um, one of the churches in town on the daily mass. Um St. Teresa of Avila. My father would bump into the the Brennan family, you know, folks over there at the same mass, twelve o'clock at Teresa of Avila. You're talking very Catholic folks here in this town. Yes. So um anyway, um anyway, all I'm saying with something like fried bananas is that I watched my grandmother's cook cook it up in the kitchen. So I I worry I wonder how they could but I don't care, I don't sweat it. It's it has too a, much to worry about. Fried bananas have a unique flavor that is great aroma to the house. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, bacon, yeah. Bacon is one of those things I love to cook in the morning on a weekend morning just to wake everybody up in the family because oh, if you're bacon. sleeping and you smell bacon, you wake up. Yeah, now that's, that's a laugh too. And bread has a similar uh, aroma that's 
Yeah. Very good. But bananas also can have a room smelling really good quick. Oh, yeah. Especially with a little now, butter and cinnamon. Yeah. Some recipes I've seen are different. They make that sauce, and then they put the bananas in. Mm-hmm. I found when no, I do no, that, no, 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 when I do that, sacrilege. it turns into a sick, yeah, sticky, sticky, sticky. So I just put the little butter in the pan, slice up the bananas, fry, you know, pan yes. fry and yes. butter. And then you start adding that yes. brown sugar and stuff like that. You got to you know? have a and little bit of take crispiness it out of the pan. On, that, on that banana. Mm-hmm. Just a little. Yeah. So Otherwise, you're right. It'll get too soggy and smooth. And I'm happy to hear you have some cooking experience. It's so fun for me to hear so many, you know, I want to say good guys know how to cook. And they're, uh, the women in town, I've heard them say, oh, no, I just go buy that chicken at the store. You know? Oh, Lord. <laughs> and that, that's a chuckle for me. Never. You know, but um, so, um, look, let's see. Uh, we, what Tell else me where you about? go to church. <laughs> You really want to? I really, um, I go to I several different churches. I see you at Holy Name, churches. but I know you don't always go to Holy Name. I don't always mass. go to Holy Name. I need to. You go around. Stay away. I need to. I love Holy Name. Um, the pastor, Father Thibodeau, is doing a fantastic he's great. job. He's a wonderful Agreed. speaker, and I think he's doing a great job, and I think we're extremely lucky to have him. You know, so I couldn't speak more highly of Father Thibodeau. And I'm not here to do an advertisement. That's not my purpose. But um, I do float around a little bit. Um, sometimes I go to Mata Della Rosa. And sometimes I go in Monterey, St. Francis Xavier. Sometimes lately I go to the Ursuline Chapel in Our Lady of Prom Soccer. Oh, nice. Because my, that was my mother's. My mother went to high school at Ursuline. You know, although she sent us to Sacred Heart at the behest of my grandmother, um, the uh, she was an Ursuline graduate. So, you know, that's that's her, um, you know, life, life experience there. I wanted to... How often do you go? Go where? To Mass. I don't go every day. I'm not not one of those. I can't get that in. But um, I go every Sunday, at least. You know, at least every Sunday, you know. Except if you're tra- you know, even right. when I'm traveling, I'm, I'm Googling, where's the Sunday Mass? And I'm like, okay, got to get to that Mass, whether it's, you know, no matter where it is. Right. So, um that's usually my pattern when I'm when I'm traveling. It's I enjoy going to mass in other towns and cities and do you experiencing. Get to yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, we've seen yeah, we've seen, seen you over there. Show. And yes, I do do the adoration one hour a week um, and on Tuesdays, um, regardless of the day. I do do that activity. Um, Don't you love adoration? I do pre- really appreciate the time of being quiet and having the chapel there to go to and experience also. The experience of being a part of a, a chain. In other words, you're not just. I can go. To, I go to my room every night and pray, or every afternoon, or whatever. And um, it's the experience of being part of a chain. So if so and so is taking the the hour at eight o'clock, and I'm taking the hour at seven, I feel that I'm part of a program, and that we're all praying, mm-hmm. and we all have needs, and we all have wants, and we all have needs that we have to ask help for help with you know so i feel that i'm less alone in my prayer if i'm at least experiencing this with other folks who have signed up for an hour and they're going to do the my hour their hour and i know i kind of think that's well said Uh, and i i miss that personally because i'm not on that chain (laughs) i selfishly just go uh when i'm available yeah as opposed to making making that commitment to be part of that very powerful chain yeah I mean, you're in front I mean, of the Eucharist, and it's it's a mm. wonderful feeling. I love it. I mean, so I have chosen a particular hour. Of course, if you can't make it, you just, you know, there's a, they sign two up at least. So I'll call the other person, or you know, or they'll call me and say I, I can't be there this weekend. You just want to guarantee that, assure that the other person will be there. But I've got a great, um, um, you know, your prayer partner or whatever. She's always there. She never misses it. So she's fantastic. You know to share the hour with you know but look the hour where i go there are always other walk-ins four or five other people sometimes in the chapel at that particular hour amazing so and i i appreciate seeing that yeah you know whether they're loyalist students or other people from this area this parish or even from out of parish i think it draws other people it's interesting to see how many young folks i see more and more in adoration yeah and i'm i'm happy to see that yeah. you know they it's need beautiful. that quiet time too i think it's when you realize I need to shut out the noise and just chill out, calm down, and ask 
H-E-L-P. I mean, I need help, you know. I need help, you know, from God or whoever it is, you know, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're Christian, whether, you know, God Almighty. But when you go to adoration, you're kind of focused on Jesus. (laughs) And that's a good thing. Uh, Um, That's why we go. I know. So, and it's okay to say it. And, uh, you know, we kind of lead others there by our own joy that because we go there, we can lay off our worry and ask for help in a vulnerable way and say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not mm-hmm. Superman. I need help. I know. Uh, even your dad, who accomplished so much, I loved hearing, you know, how he made rounded up and y'all were all at mass, and it was a great part of his life and your family. Yeah. Now, growing up, when we would get us all in the car and we'd go that do that seven o'clock mass thing in holy name you know really yeah uh, he would load up the that station wagon we'd be the seven oh y'all had mass. a station wagon of course <laughs> of course you know one of those old things on pat with the paneling on the yes. side and all that. um but you know we would kids way in the back mass. probably kids way in the back <laughs> unbuckled <laughs> probably yeah no no rules and regulations then right you know with the car seats that right. they have now you know so, you know, we would that, – that went on through about – you know, by the time I got to high school or, you know, the elementary years, uh, middle school, you know, the older ones had, a, you know, moved on. They were getting married. They were starting to have their families. So it was kind of like just me. What One of my own jokes is that when I got to high school, all of them had really, truly moved on. So that cook I was telling you about, you know, like she would make the fried chicken and the fried this and – I was the only one. I was sometimes the only one in uh, there. You know, she my, wasn't still making the same quantity. <laughs> no, right. So um, I'm like, this is this is nice. No, no, but um, no. My mom and dad sometimes would be out. You know, they had to, they had a lot of stuff to do. You know, so they weren't always there. But anyway, look, that's just one of my little jokes. But look, I'll, I'll put the punch in for Chris's steakhouse. Look, my father loved the steakhouses on um, Charlie's. I don't I don't care if I'm advertising. You know, they love those nights out with um. There was another in the Crescent City Steakhouse. Did we have Chris's, it Charlie's. Seems as we you have know. an unusual amount of steakhouses <laughs> for our small population our in share. New Orleans, for sure. We have our share, and I'm not trying to be the advertiser. I'm just trying to tell those are the facts of oh, our life. You could. know. Again, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training, brought to you by Catholic Community Media, and we have the wonderful, interesting Miss Ann Gust, and talking about her book of her family life, growing up, Gust. Uh, not only was he the attorney general, but they all were also the proprietors of of the family that owned Antoine's, uh, the oldest restaurant in North America. So food, it's interesting, you know, growing up in New Orleans, food is so central to our culture. Yeah. More so than at most other cities in the country. Uh, and, uh-huh. You know, I guess it's more old European, you know, populated by French and Irish and Italians. and Yeah. Uh, Catholics who love to eat. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, like I said, my father would sometimes get home from work, and he would start, you know, pulling out pots and pans, as I say in this particular chapter that introduces the cookbook. I won't read it to you, you know, but it says that I was, like, amazed that he would come home from work sometimes and really want to start cooking something up. Now, look. It's a great way to unwind. I come (laughs) home, and when I'm cooking, ah, it's like, you know, Painters paint on a canvas or sculptors. Cooking, if you're not following a recipe exactly, if you just, I love to read recipes, mm-hmm. and most cooks do, mm-hmm. and see how people do it. And then you kind of do it you know, exactly. your way with the influence mm-hmm. of, of someone else's specialty. Yeah. I think my father did sometimes read two, three, four recipes before he figured out what he wanted to do himself. I, I, I do the same you thing. Know, unless he was just operating on instincts, which mm-hmm. sometimes I do. You know, I'm just like, you know, I, I remember what she did, you know, and I would lie in bed thinking, how did she make that such and such? You know, when I was a little bit younger and I would lie in bed and think, oh, yeah, I remember the Trinity. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Trinity. Remember that? You know, the, the bell pepper onion and, you know. I've shell. been using bell pepper more. Uh, so I've been making more beans. Exactly. Big bell pepper is one I sometimes forget about. But you're right. Yeah. The onion, bell pepper, celery, that kind In of thing. the book, do you have a recipe for beef wellington? No, I don't. It's the only thing I've yet to really master. I've cooked a lot of different dishes and really get them down. Uh, I I can't say that I do. I have never been able to master. I don't know what that. I can't. Don't even particularly know what that is. It's a piece of fillet 
it's a piece of filet with a like a phyllo dough or something oh, around really? it and oh. with a some sort of sauce you put on it. Oh, I see. A Bernay sauce. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't want to cover my steak with with, with but if, if that's oh, what I'd, you like, you I'd know. I dip the bread in the you know. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know how to make this, Dave? Do you Not, know how to make this? I have made it. I have never made it like I've had it in a restaurant. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, I, you have to tell me where, where you get cards? this stuff. What are these cards? What are these cards? My niece, Dorothy, my, one of my sisters, my sister Valerie's oldest child, she was extremely um, talented artistically. Oh, yeah. Look at that. And several of my nieces are, are very talented with, with the art brush and never have been the artist. I'm not the artist, but um, she did some of the she did the artwork with it, which is quite nice. And I some of it came back to me, and I was just loved it. I thought that's fantastic. You know, oh, that's the beef that. stew. Yeah, yeah, This is the Thanksgiving um, artwork. I, I think that's a beautiful piece of drawing. It's just gorgeous, in my opinion. You know, the, I like this one, the Trinity. With you the know, big I don't meals, know if I think, hmm? with the big meals, the Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, was that. That in in growing up, Gus, that had to be extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the dining room table would be well populated with ten or twelve folks. You know, set the table for that many at least. And then there'd be little sub rooms where there'd be round tables in the uh, connecting den. You know, where people would we would sit at those other tables too. You know, sometimes. So you know, these are just some of the drawings, the tomatoes. That's just you know, just beautiful work. I was just really happy with it. Of course, I had to work with this artist and really get her motivated. I hear artists are like that, though. <laughs> you have to stay on top of this situation. But she she did really crank down and started beautiful uh, doing this great artwork etouffee, and this is the steak dinner one, um, mm. and uh, a sazerac. Oh, I'm going to give this parents. one to you. Would you like this one? Sure. That's a sazerac, folks. Okay, that's a picture of a sazerac. It's I thought Dave might like that one. I love it. You like Thank that you. one? Okay. You. So you know that kind of thing. If you know anyone want one of those? Okay. The, so you I, got the it. Food you know? ones are great, and she did all the artwork for the cookbook. She did do the artwork for the cookbook. Now, in the stories, I attach actual pictures. It's a you great know, bell to pepper and piece of celery. And right. Onion. Right. That's excellent. Right, the tr- would you like but that? this is the best. The Thanksgiving, yeah, yes. this is really a pretty picture. And as we're looking, you know? we're looking at different postcards with uh, the different drawings that are in the book uh, done by her niece, uh, right, by Anne's niece, Dorothy, right, Dorothy, right, named after my mother, by the way. And, she got and I must say to anyone who listens, uh, this has been uh, no one has ever come into these beautiful studios with all of the uh, accoutrement props. <laughs> I'm looking at the Attorney General and your mom in one picture and another picture. Where is that? I had to jog my memory somehow. My my father is in this uh, royal blue kind of coat. My mother's in a bright pink for your reference out there. And uh, it's quite a uh, shiny outfit. I don't know how they would come up with these things. But it all makes us, gives us a little levity in our lives. Look, my father came from a pretty serious career, but they were able to laugh and enjoy their life. And that kind of goes back to joy, and I would say his work-life balance, you know. I mean, they were able to come home and enjoy life. I mean, they really were, you know. Um, and where is this picture? <clears throat> this is a picture of, of my mother, as I said. You know, when my mother, my father is noticeably absent, probably, but it's my mother with nine, all nine of us at the Harry Thompson Center which oh, that's is, all the children. Yes, that's adults. all of us. Wow, you ought to see this group. It looks like a, <laughs> a a council or something. You know, a whole group of people. Well, that's wonderful. In that year, it was about four or five years ago. My mother was the the chairman of the fundraiser for the Harry Thompson Center, so we all wanted to be there with her and for her. Um, my mother would have been about well over ninety, probably ninety three, ninety four at that point. Um, but my mother did not hesitate when she got to that event. The trumpet came out, the brass band from Sophie Wright, you know, the Wright brass band. They were great. Oh, look at the brass and, band. The picture's you know, beautiful. My mom went right out on the dance floor. It was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life, I think. But she went right out on the little dance floor and, you know, danced a little bit. And full disclosure. And that's when we said, okay, Mom, I think we all kind of grouped around her and said, okay, hold up. <laughs> so the picture then... Um, kind of came out of that i think that's a great picture you know and with but, um, full disclosure i did go to high school with your brother jimmy yeah you mentioned that so, at Dela uh, Salle. Yeah, that's right so and that's and, jimmy and right tell there. us about what you have um here. okay these these the items water, a rosary 
all right. And Tylenol. My mother had her little, her critical essentials. You know, at I, of course, I, I consider her a privilege to have shared the last years of her life with you, her. It was. But she had her little ensemble of necessities, and I said, we're putting all these in a little bag, because she'd always be looking for them. Where's my rosary? Where's my holy water? Where's my this? Where's my that? Okay, so I didn't want to be looking for stuff 10 times a day. So I put it all in a little bag. She, you know, had the bag with her. But the bag had, like, you know, the holy water. Right, which is right here. I brought these as an exhibit for for a visual. I know the Radio Land folks can't see this stuff, but it's the bottle of holy water, the Tylenol. My mother at 98 continued to take and swear by Tylenol. Uh, this is not an ad for Tylenol. I have no connection to the business. Uh, her rosary. Uh, I have one little rosary that I bought. This little one that's cute. And, um, you know, things like that. And this is my mother's prayer book. And I kind of consider this a curio for me, a souvenir item that I'll probably never want to lose. Um, you know, my mother would wake up quite early every day, 6.30, 5.30, 6.30 in the morning, even up to the year she spent at the Chateau de Notre Dame, you know, assisted living facility. Um, I was there with her. I observed her up, dressed, in the, whether it was in a wheelchair or not, rolled into the room, reading her prayer book and this is the prayer book you know i'd say twice a day so in the afternoon she would take a nap she'd roll roll back out do her reading from her prayer book so my mother as i mentioned uh, had all the faculties the mental faculties you know for the greater part there with her and that to me is 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 amazing and um life distributes its maladies all across the board and um my mother just died of old age, I would I would call it. What a wonderful and, way to go. You know, that was in January of this year. But it's this prayer book that I consider a souvenir item. This is her prayer for calm. I think this one was for me. <laughs> she sensed that I was very jittery for some reason, I think. But she shared this one with the whole family, you know, the prayer for calm. If you want a copy, call me. That'd be great. Um, but, um, no, so these are her little curio items. Well... It has been a most uh, gracious hour to spend with you, hearing about someone who I have been a part of my life peripherally, uh, you know, for 20 years a part of my life. Yeah. Uh, everyone knew your dad and had no idea that – I knew Jimmy came from a big family. I had no right. idea it was as big and uh, that it was so impactful to grow up Gust. <laughs> We're going to end here. Thank you so much. If anyone is interested in the book, you can find it online. Uh, under Anne D. Gust uh, and Stories of My Mother and and the General's Cookbook. And the General's Cookbook. Please so, go to um, it. and uh, It's also available at Loyola's Bookstore. And if I'm lucky, pretty soon maybe a Sacred Hearts Bookstore might have it for a little while, uh, given their alumni weekend. Um, but, um, you know, things like that. Basically, it's online. Thank you for know. joining us. And we'll end with a Hail Mary and say goodbye. Okay. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Cross Training with David Anderson is a production of Catholic Community Media.